0: The Bible claims to be the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Jesus, he claimed to be the truth, and he confirmed this when he said that the Scripture cannot be broken. It's the Word of God, and his word is truth. In fact, the Psalmist said, the Son of thy word is truth. And so what is recorded in the Bible must be truthful and accurate, and that includes its scientific statements concerning the universe. If God wrote the Bible, it must be true, accurate, and reliable about everything it describes, including nature, because God knows all things, and he made the universe, and he knows how it works. And so in this series of documentaries, My aim is to demonstrate to you the scientific accuracy of the Bible, uh, because it provides exciting external evidence that it is the Word of God, uh, because only God could have had that knowledge at the time of writing. In fact, as we're going to see, sometimes the statements in the Bible actually led to scientific research and discovery and confirmation, therefore, that it's true. Um, but this was through believers who accepted it as the word of God and acted on it and carried out their investigations on that basis, following up the leads it provided. And we're going to look at one of those examples right now through the dis- discovery of ocean currents. This was the m- fundamental discovery in the new science called oceanography. And it was a great help to planning shipping routes and understanding weather patterns. So we're going to look at uh, some aspects of the oceans, first of all, today. And uh, first of all, the discovery of ocean currents Uh, didn't just confirm the Bible, but a believer was led to discover them through reading the Bible and uh, bringing a new science called oceanography. This man was a wonderful believer called Matthew Morey. From eighteen o six to eighteen seventy three, and uh, he loved reading the Bible and he believed that it was accurate. And uh, he came across Psalm eight eight that says, "The fish of the sea that par that pass through the paths of the seas." And he concluded that if God's word said there were paths of the sea in the seas along which the sea travels. Uh, then I will find them, he said. Uh, there must be paths, and I'm going to find them. So he set out to find them, and as a result, he discovered the ocean currents. And for many years, he devoted himself to the study of the seas and the winds and the clouds and so forth. He studied ships, logs. He compiled charts of the ocean winds and the sea currents. Another scripture uh bearing on this isaiah 43 says the lord the lord makes a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters uh psalm 107 25 through this he discovered there was a connection between the air circulation system of the winds and the 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 ocean currents it says he commands and raises the stormy winds which lifts up the waves of the sea and so he studied all of these things he he sent adrift weighted bottles that went just underneath the surface of the sea, so they weren't affected by the wind. And he, with with instructions sealed in each bottle, so that when people found them, um, say it washed ashore, um, on the loca- they were to send that information back to him. And so he was able to chart the location and the dates when they're found, and develop. Charts of ocean currents, the paths of the seas, and he found and mapped the warm and the cold continental currents, which and then prov- was able to provide the best routes for navigation and sea travel. And then he wrote uh, the first textbook on oceanography, modern oceanography, in 1855, the, called The Physical Geography of the Sea and Its meteorolo- Meteorology. Uh, and it was full of scripture, giving Uh, Oceanography from a Christian viewpoint and uh, preparing charts for the Atlantic Ocean that allowed them to lay cables uh, under the sea. And uh, he was elected to the Great Hall of Fame for great americans and a monument in his offer in his honor in virginia reads matthew fontaine maury the pathfinder of the seas the genius <laughs> who first snatched from the oceans and the atmosphere the secrets of their laws his inspiration holy writ psalm 8 8 ecclesiastes 1 6. and so he was uh, rightly honored but His success came from believing the word of God and its scientific accuracy. Yes, the Bible is primarily written for our spiritual life and our salvation. It isn't written as a scientific textbook. But the physical world is created with many parallels to the spiritual world. So God actually uses the physical world as as a picture, as an analogy to the spiritual world and he teaches us spiritual things by means of their natural counterparts, like sowing and reaping. And so the Bible does actually give much information about this physical universe and how it works, and, and it is accurate when it does that. And then that enables us to understand spiritual things better too. Actually, Jesus said, didn't he? If I have told you earthly things, natural things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly or spiritual things? See, he links the two. So the Bible must be trustworthy, and we must believe it when it talks about natural things as well as spiritual things. The two are together. In fact, the Bible's accuracy when touching on scientific subjects has led many great scientists like Maury to outstanding discoveries. And, uh, connected to this is the claim of the Bible well ahead of its time that the air has weight. Um, This was only discovered 300 years ago by Torricelli and this is what we now know as air pressure. The weight of the atmosphere above us that's pressing on us. uh, we We don't notice it normally because the pressure within us balances the pressure coming on us from the outside. But you, you, can, you can demonstrate this if you have a can or some kind of vessel. Um, normally, it, it seems like there's, there's no pressure there. But if you actually then pump out the air from the inside of that can, then without that inner pressure, the outer pressure of the atmosphere squashes that can very quickly and powerfully. And that shows that that air pressure is real. And this is the weight of the air. And Job 28, which was written over 2,000 years ago, uh, 2, f- uh, f- over 3,500 years ago, I should say, it says this, he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind or a weight for the air. And so clearly the, the air has weight. The Bible predicted it, it was being confirmed recently. Mori actually, was inspired by this example of the Bible, revealing scientific truth, that that gave him confidence for his own discovery. And he says this in his book. Though the fact that the air has weight is here so distinctly announced in Job, philosophers never recognized the fact until within comparatively a recent period and then, It was proclaimed by them as a great discovery. Nevertheless, the fact was set forth as distinctly in the book of nature as it is in the book of Revelation, which is the Bible. For the infant, in availing itself of atmospheric pressure to draw milk from its mother's breast, unconsciously proclaimed it. Well, moving on to the next uh, example of biblical accuracy is that there are mountains on the ocean floor. Now, in Bible times, of course, the pressures at the ocean floor are so great that man has never been able to explore that. Certainly, in the time of the Bible, and uh, only in modern times has it become possible to see what's on the ocean floor. Yet, the Bible actually correctly speaks of mountains on the ocean floor uh, when Jonah describes this as he as he is thrown off the ship and then he descends actually into the depths and i believe he actually dies and goes to hades and his body is picked up by by the large fish but see what jonah says as he describes his experience after having been raised up by god again he says the waters surrounded me even to my soul that's to the point of death the deep closed around me weeds were wrapped around my head so he's obviously near the sea floor now i went down to the moorings of the mountains the earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. So after about three minutes of drowning, he reached the sea floor. So then God obviously later raised he raised him up and he could report what he saw. And what did he see? He saw mountains. He was the first deep sea explorer that, that came back alive. And uh, this... Was unexpected that there would be mountains on the sea floor. And this proves that the story of Jonah is true, it's not a fable. Only recently has man been able to explore and confirm that there are tremendous mountains on the sea floor. And uh, he talks about going to the bottoms of the mountains. You know, Mount Everest is about 29,000 feet high, but Hawaii's Mauna Kea rises over 33,000 feet from the depths of the Pacific ocean floor. And this actually is the tallest mountain in the world and yet its roots are in the ocean. The deep also is an accurate description. The depths of the oceans are beyond uh, our comprehension. One deep trench, Marianas Trench is almost 36,000 feet below sea level. Well, there are mountains under the sea. The Bible predicted it and it is true. There are springs under the seas too. Job 38.16 says that. Have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in the recesses of the deep? Genesis 7.11 also talks about the fountains of the great deep and how they were broken up at the time of the flood. That's mentioned in Genesis 8.2 as well. Proverbs 8.28 talks about the springs of the deep. And all of this was only confirmed recently. The first underwater hot spring was discovered in 1977, and uh, these hydrothermal vents now are quite well known. And they've they're found in areas of the ocean floor uh, that are spreading, and and, and the wa- and the water comes up as hot hot wa- spring water. They're heated by the by the very hot mag- the ma- molten magma inside the earth, and uh, they come up. And they can reach over 300 degrees. They're rich in dissolved chemicals and this hot spring water forms a plume above the vent, like like a chimney smoke rising up. And exotic life forms often live around these springs of the sea, just as the Bible predicted. Also another point is that the Bible talks about deep valleys or, or channels or canyons in the seas. We know that's true. Psalm 18, then the channels of the sea were seen. And Samuel talks about the valleys of the sea were exposed. And so the existence of deep sea mountains, valleys, canyons, springs, this was beyond the ability of ancient man to observe. And so the fact that the Bible predicted their existence and declared it and got it right is proof, another proof, that the Bible is of God, inspired by God. Another issue is the earth, what supports the earth? What's holding it up? The Hindu uh, Vedas say it's supported by four elephants, Uh, you know, which when they shake, causes earthquakes. And what supports these elephants? Well, a gigantic turtle swimming in a huge ocean. Or maybe the Greeks would say that it was supported on the backs of a huge giant called uh, Atlas. Needless to say, these, Statements have been proved false by science. The Bible, unlike other religious literature from ancient times, does not make these kind of unscientific claims. What does it say about the earth and, and what supports the earth? Job twenty six seven. he stretches out or extends the north over empty space, over the void, and he hangs the earth on nothing. That's a tremendous statement, Job, you see. Living almost 4,000 years ago in an ancient culture, he knew nothing about space or planets. He made the amazing claim that God hanged the earth on nothing. In other words, it free floats in space. It's hanging in empty space. Nothing is holding it up. Since we've been able to travel into space and photograph the earth, we now know the Bible was right all the time. It correctly predicted that space is essentially empty. It's a vacuum. We call it the vacuum of space. And this verse also claims... That if you extend the north-south axis of the Earth, it continues into the vacuum of space. Well, before Einstein, uh, scientists believed that space consisted of a substance called the ether. This was invoked to explain how electromagnetic waves like light uh, could travel through space. Um, And it was was, impossible, they thought that something like light could travel through a vacuum. You, you need some medium, you need the ether. And, but Job says, no, it's empty space. There's, there's no substance in the way. Um, and uh, he was proved to be right. Man's common sense said an ether, a universal ether was necessary to make things work right. But the Bible said it's a void, it's space. It's and the Bible proved true, even against man's common sense. The theory of this ether was that it filled the whole universe and it provided a stationary frame of reference uh, through which the way electromagnetic waves could flow. Uh, but it was invisible to the eye. But um, the Mickelson-Morley experiment in 1887 uh, shocked the scientific community because it proved that the speed of light was the same however you were moving through the ether. And this indicated that the ether didn't exist. And Einstein took that result and he built the theory of relativity that, that as it were, confirmed that the ether didn't exist. And uh, that therefore there is no stationary frame of reference in the universe because every reference system moving at a constant speed. To each other is equally as good, and uh, this is what relativity is, is all about. And this is biblically sound because I believe it's the on, only appropriate, the only appropriate fixed, absolute reference system by which things uh, are, stand uh, is God Himself. And so, within the universe, you can have many different equally valid reference systems. The only absolute reference system is God himself in whom the universe exists. And so uh, again the Bible proved true uh, about empty space. An interesting tidbit to the, this huge, there was a discovery of a huge hole in space. It says he hangs the north over nothing. Uh, in, in that scripture in Job. He stretches out the north over empty space and anyway it's just interesting that in the north there, direction there, uh, there was discovered a huge hole in space uh, n- nearly a billion light-years across uh, dwarfing anything else of its kind, taking astronomers by surprise because it's so big, it's de- mostly devoid of stars, galaxies and so on and and so Maybe that's uh, some connection as well. Well, the next subject is of great historical importance. It's the shape of the earth. We know that the earth is a sphere or close to being a sphere. This is an important issue because many critics claim that the Bible has taught that the earth is flat. And that on that basis, the church always preached that the earth was flat. Uh, and that continued to do so until the time of Christopher Columbus when he made his famous journey to America in 1492, and uh, there was a lot of fuss because people were worried, you know, he's going to fall off the edge of the world, and I don't know if you heard that. I heard that story at school. And this has now been shown to be a total myth, Uh, actually a modern myth concocted by sceptics in the 19th century to discredit the church to discredit Christianity. Actually, it couldn't be further from the truth. Let's, actually, let's see what the Bible has to say and, uh, and what actually happened. Uh, there is no passage in the Bible that says the earth is flat. In fact, the Bible plainly says the earth is a sphere. Before we go to our main passage, let's go to three others first. Um, Proverbs eight twenty seven says, "When he prepared the heavens, I was there." That's wisdom speaking. I was there. When he drew a circle, or sphere, on the face of the deep. And the word circle here can mean circle, compass, or sphere. And it's saying that in designing and constructing the earth, he caused the surface of the waters of the deep to form a sphere. Uh, Basically, in creation, God used a curved, a spherical geometry, uh, not a flat geometry, to measure the earth. Now, this was written in 1,000 BC. And then Job 26.10 was written even earlier, probably 1,600 BC. He says, he has inscribed a circle on the surface of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. Now, in this case, this is talking about the circular line of demarcation between day and night. If you're looking from above, Uh, if you're looking from space as it were, uh, there's a line uh, that is a circle that is the boundary of light and darkness. This view of the circular horizon, the boundary between light and darkness can only be seen from extremely high altitudes as reached by satellites and this is only consistent with a curved spherical earth. Notice It doesn't work for a flat earth. Notice that both of these scriptures, they don't refer to an optical impression or illusion, but they describe the actual way that God made the earth. It says, he inscribed a circle. He drew a circle or a sphere. Its it's real geometry is spherical. David also confirmed that. In Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, God has removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. What a great statement. I'm so glad he didn't say as far as the north from the south, because that would be different. You see, on a spherical surface, east and west are infinitely separated in the sense that you can continue traveling forever and ever going east, and you never reach the west. It's, it's infinite. You travel in either direction without attaining the other And this indicates that our sins are removed to infinity, praise God, from where they can never return, praise God. But if it was a flat earth, uh, the separation of east and west would be finite, and that wouldn't be so comforting. So God chose his words very carefully. Had he said as far as the north is from the south, that would have communicated a different meaning because the north and south, you see, are not infinitely separated on a sphere. In fact, if you start at the North Pole and go south, you reach the South Pole, and then you're heading north again. And so they're they're limited, but God says, I move your sins from from east to west, praise God. Solomon understood this, he said, in Ecclesiastes, the wind goes towards the south and then turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. So again, the wind blows in circuits towards the south and then turning towards the north, you see. And so all of this is consistent. There's a difference between the north and south and the east and the west. One's finite, one's infinite, which confirms that the Bible saw the earth's geometry as spherical. Then Isaiah said in 700 BC, It is he who sits above the circle or the sphere of the earth and its inhabitants are as grasshoppers. The word translated circle here, the Hebrew word, means something round or spherical, not something flat. It should actually, and it should be translated, he sits above the sphere of the earth. It's a plain statement that the earth's surface is curved, it's a sphere. And all of these men of God said it, from Job, David, Solomon, and Isaiah. And so the Bible correctly describes the shape of the earth centuries before people thought the earth was spherical. You see, the surrounding heathen nations and religions believed that the earth at this time was flat, with a vaulted dome rising above on which were attached the stars. Even the Greek philosophers believed that until the time of Aristotle. Um, and But years before that, Isaiah and David Solomon, they knew as revelation from God that the earth was spherical. It was only in the Greeks with Aristotle that he suggested in about 330 BC that the earth might be a sphere. And then later Greek mathematicians measured shadows and they were able to confirm that the earth was round and measured its circumference. And so uh, from 300 BC onwards, all educated people knew that the earth was round, it was not flat. And the the idea that the people in the time of Christopher Columbus or the church believed that the earth was flat is absolute nonsense. Um, in fact, the issue over his journey and what they were arguing about had nothing to do with the, with the roundness or the flatness of the earth. Uh, in the church fathers, they hardly discussed the issue, uh, but those who did believed the earth was round. There was the odd maverick who believed the earth was flat like Lactanius. And uh, in the Renaissance, the humanists latched onto their writings and tried to say this is the general Christian belief that the earth was flat, but that simply was not true. Where did this fabrication come from? There's a, in 1828, an American writer, Washington Irving, the author of Rip Rip Van Winkle. He wrote a book called The Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus. It was a mixture of fact and fiction, and he himself admitted he used a lot of imagination. And he presented this thing as of Christopher Columbus against all these superstitious, Bible-believing, ignorant people who thought the earth was flat and and so forth. And actually, uh, this was all his invention and, uh, but sadly, later writers took this up and said, repeated the error, and it was convenient for them because it was used, this idea that the church believed that the earth was flat, was used as a way to discredit the, the church in the creation-evolution kind of debate at that time. And, but the professor, Geoffrey Russell, who, who wrote a book called Inventing the Flat Earth, 500 years after Christopher Columbus's journey said that nearly uh, he he confirmed that unanimous scholarly opinion at that time was that the earth was spherical and he said nothing in the documents from the time of Columbus or in the early accounts of his life suggest any debate about the roundness of the earth this was all made up by Washington Irving and as a result it was used as a way to attack the church but the truth is Christianity has never uh, invented or promoted the myth of a flat earth because the Bible itself teaches the correct shape of the earth. Jesus himself in the New Testament confirmed that. In Luke 17, verse 30, he talks about the day when the Son of Man returns. And it says he will return suddenly. And it will be while some are asleep at the night and others are working in the field at the daytime. He says this, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together, the one taken and the other left. Two men will be in a field, one taken and the other left. Notice when Jesus returns to take his people, to rapture his people, it will happen suddenly to all the people on the earth. Jesus said, surely I'm coming suddenly. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming as a thief in the night. I'm coming in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, it says. Now Luke 17 says, for some it will be at night, to bed at night, and others it will be the daytime. And this seems to contradict everyday experience, you see, uh, that you can have night and day at the same time. Uh, And it would be a contradiction if the earth was flat. But it can only be true if the earth was a sphere, because on one side of the earth while it's light, the other side it's darkness, and so when the rapture happens, some people will be asleep, others will be awake. This is an indication that Jesus understood that the earth was spherical, because when he returns, it will be dark in some places and light at others. And this is only ver- was only became verifiable when we had fast travel and accurate enough clocks to confirm this. Once again, the Bible proves itself to be scientifically consistent and accurate.